Own Your Creativity, episode 52. It is a great deal of work to learn about the craft and and the art of of writing. And so that was a, a great process. You're listening to the Own Your Creativity podcast with me, your host, Elizabeth Johnston. I'm an author, professor, and podcaster, and I help people tell their story. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Ann McTiernan today. She conducts studies on the effects of diet, exercise, and weight loss on cancer and health. She is a professor at the Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center and the University of Washington Schools of Public Health and Medicine in Seattle. Dr. McTiernan is also author of Starved, A Nutrition Doctor's Journey from Empty to Full and Breast Fitness, an Optimal Exercise and Health Plan for Reducing Your Risk of Breast breast Cancer. She has appeared on The Today Show, uh, MSNBC News Show, ABC World News Tonight, CBS Evening News, ABC News with Peter Jennings, and has been featured in USA Today, New York Times, LA Times, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, Parade, Associated Press, Seattle Times, US News and World Report, and other media. I wonder when you have time to do all of your scientific articles. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Well, that's that's been um, spread over a, a few years, and um, the the type of research I do tends to be of great interest to the public. So that's why I end up um, talking to media quite often. I try to get the information out to people of what they can do to um, help improve their health and reduce their risk of certain diseases, including cancer. Yeah. Well, you know, you also started the uh, blog uh, a few years ago, and was was the reason that you started the blog was to reach more people about these important issues? It was a, a way to, to have a creative outlook. So um, outlet, sorry. Mm-hmm. The, in, in science, um, there is quite a bit of creativity is required in science, but sometimes it's, it's quite structured. You have to do things along a um, with a certain mold, a certain format, um, especially if you're trying to get um, funding for doing your science. And then when you write things up, they have to be in a certain way. And I've always been interested in story and how we spread information by story. Um, and so by doing creative writing, both in the memoir I wrote and in the, the blog, it's another way of getting information out about um about you know anything that you're interested in, but get it in story format. And um, something that a lot of people don't realize is that physicians communicate quite a bit by story in, in their everyday lives. So when we're going through our medical school training, um, we learn how to, um, to um, examine patients, how to ask questions and get a history, and then how to, um, um, to um, examine the patient and determine what's going on and come up with a treatment plan. But when you're telling this to another physician or students presenting to the physician, it's always done in story format. And it's, it, it, it's as if it has, um, you know, what's the major problem? And then uh, um, there's a, a course and a, um, um, you, you talk about what has led up to something. And then you talk about um, the um, some pivotal events in this, this history of this um, illness um, and then you might talk about um, um, a climax or a crisis. And, and, and so the, it has kind of a story arc. And 
And we learn when we're doing these types of presentations um, that um, you, you can be a little creative there. So the, the, the clear things, the, the important things you have to um, um, get down exactly, like what somebody's blood pressure, but and it doesn't matter so much if you remember if the person's 31 years old or 32 years old. You don't stop your story just to get that one item correct because you want the person listening to hear the entirety of the story so they understand the full picture. Hmm. So, the, so there's, there's some the story and, and, um, and the a story arc in a lot of what medicine is it does. When did you realize that there was a story arc in, in uh, patient-doctor relations? You know, I think as, looking back is where I've, I've noticed it. And as I've done um, some creative writing and, and developed the, the memoir, I learned about how um, in writing people talk about the story arc and they do it so that they can, um, you know, present a story in a way that the um, person reading it will find it interesting and want to follow along and want to um, see what happens. Um, and and as as I learned about how that's done in in writing and creative writing, that made me start thinking. Well, medicine does that too, and mm. and and so that's this part that really is part of the critical thing. You want to keep somebody's attention. You want to make sure that if you're talking about a patient to another physician because you want to get some advice, you better make that story um, something that physician can. Um, hold on to um, keep in keep in their head and so by doing it like a story arc which is how we learned how to do our presentations I think that helps that Hmm. so at what point in doing your blog did it occur to you that hey this might be a book um, well, it was it was in parallel. So the ways the reason I decided to write a book um, was um, well, I've always been interested in story. I always thought I had a story in me. But um, I read the the book called Angela's Ashes, Frank McCourt's right. um, um, memoir mm-hmm. some, that he wrote some number of years ago. And he, as he described it, he wrote about um, his miserable Irish Catholic childhood. Well, I said to myself, I had a miserable Irish American Catholic childhood. I, <laughs> I thought I'll write a book. And that is another place where my being a physician affected me because physicians, have, we have this saying that um, in training that physicians will say that um, you see one, do one, teach one, meaning see a procedure done, you do it, and then you teach it, which is like, it, it's it's not a good thing in some, in many instances, it's mean that the physicians are getting trained very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, so, but, so it's kind of a joke. Um, and, um, and so I kind of had that, but I had that <laughs> mentality. I read a book, I can write a book. Well, you know, <laughs> seven years later, I have one published, but it, it, uh, it is a great deal of, um, work to learn about the craft, um, and, um, and the art of, of writing. And so that was a, a great process. I ended up taking some courses and, and, and learning, um, quite a bit. And, and, um, and there's a lot of practice involved. Um, so, and it was doing that. Um, so reading that memoir and then starting through this process of learning, um, made me realize, well, blogging will be another interesting way to, um, to, uh, to, to practice that creative writing. And so the blog entries, did they find their way into your final memoir? Um, no, they were kind of, they were a little bit different. They, you know, I, I made the theme of the blog related to being a grandmother and, um, 
and then some things about the research I do, um, you know, some health-related things. So there, there are all kinds of different things. And, and occasionally I'll do a blog post for some other things, like I just did one for the American Institute for Cancer Research, and they, and that's more like giving information about how people can reduce their risk of um, cancer by losing weight. Um, and so I think this, um, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm putting various things into the blog, but the blog is, is and, and it has some corollaries. Like there was one um, particular thing that I didn't get into the book that I put in the blog post because it fit there better. And it was, it was kind of like a, um, an explanation of what some of the language was in the book. So I was raised by um, my mother and aunt. They were Irish American descent. And from their mother, they learned um, to swear constantly. And in <laughs> many populations, that's not acceptable. And, and so I, but I had these words in the in the book, and there was nothing, uh, there was no sexual swears, there were all things like um, um, religious swears. Um, and But almost every sentence would be started with one, or it would fit in there some way. And that was just the way that the Irish spoke. Um, but I, you know, I didn't put an explanation of it into the book, it just didn't fit, but I put it, a, a list of them into the blog, and it's, it's kind of like a, um, a humorous description of what these different things might say. Um, you know, if you, you're listing three saints or um, a, a few names for um, re- religious figures, um, you know, what that way of describing it, the person probably meant. Yes, like you have one here, Jesus, Mary and Joseph, and it actually translates into this is a catastrophe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you've said that About writing your memoir, it's helped you to excavate long-buried emotions that give you insight into your patient struggles and improve your research. So what kind of emotions were excavated for you that helped you relate better to your patients? Well, I think um, I do a lot of research in weight loss, and we get people who, you know, they want want to join a study. but um, so we're we're trying to get them to lose weight, and often it's through changing diet, um, and um, it's not an easy thing to do. And and so many times a you know nutritionist or a physician may think, well, I, you just tell somebody, give somebody a diet, and let them that they're going to do it. They'll follow it, and they'll lose all this weight. And it's just not magical like that because there are so many emotions that go around um, with. Um, that affect a person's weight and what they eat and how they eat it and how much they eat it. And so for me, remembering what it was like for me as a child that I used food as a, um, an emotional crutch at first, when I was very young, I, I didn't eat, um, because of a particular very scarring year that I went through when I was in a Catholic boarding school. Um, so I didn't eat during that time. And that's, that's in a way that's using food or, um, as a, um, emotional outlet in the sense that I didn't eat. Um, mm. And then later on, when I was living at home, I overate and I did binge eating at times. And, and so that also was you know, like trying to fill an emotional hole. And, um, you know, I know that not every person that comes to a weight loss um, study or a clinic is going to be dealing with that. But, you know, there's some estimates that as much as a third of people that join a, that that are coming to a study to try to lose weight, um, that up to a third have have binge eating. And binge eating means when somebody's eating excessively at one point, even though they're not hungry. 
And often the reason they're doing that is um, is because of some emotional issues. Um, and so, you know, I could really empathize with our patients or study participants at just how difficult some of these things are to get around. And one thing we ended up doing is that I had a health psychologist working with us, and she trained our um, nutritionist and our exercise people in in the in these sorts of things with behavior um, behavior change, behavior treatment, and how to deal with individual um, persons in our studies that are dealing with a, a lot of these issues. So I think that um, by reaching in and remembering and writing down the um, my old feelings, I think that helped that. Um, and, you know, it's not just um, that all of a sudden I had this amazing insight, I think, into what my old feelings were. I think, I think that what writing helped me to do is to take the messiness out of my thoughts and help me to put some water into them by writing it down and then, and then helps you to understand, help me to understand my feelings. Right. And how did writing the memoir improve your research? I, th- I think by, um, by helping me pay attention to this, um, and, um, by helping me realize what's important, um, by helping me realize what, what the public wants to know. Cause if, you know, I feel, um, you know, most of our research dollars in, here in the United States comes from the U.S. government, and that means it's taxpayers that are paying for this. So I feel like I feel a responsibility to um, to do the sorts of research that people want to have done, and then to get that information back to them as soon as possible, and as clearly as possible. And so I think um, that's been helpful uh, helped by um, by doing um, creative writing, um, and. Um, you know, I think that that writing, um, well, creative writing and learning how to write better helps with any of that communication with the public, um, and it also helps with scientific communication. I think you can write a little more clearly if you um, have more experience with writing in any venue. Um, so, what's been the yes. person? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. What's been the personal benefits for you in writing this memoir? I think one of the main things is that um, people that read it tell me that it really speaks to them. Um, and, you know, somebody may not have gone through the exact same things I did, but they might have, it might help them remember something that in their childhood and their past that, that was an issue for them and help them think about it. Um, so there's, so that's really been very rewarding to know that I'm, I'm touching people in a personal way. Um, and, um, Another rewarding thing is just that people will say, well, I don't know how you got through that. So it's like it's kind of interesting that that somebody would enjoy reading um, how somebody has dealt with difficult issues and survived it. Yeah, I think that a lot of us turn to not just memoirs, but but even novels in a you know unconscious way, maybe uh, um, for answers about, you know, how you deal with life's challenges. I think that the story is really instructive in that way. I agree. And I think this, this beginning research on how story can, um, can how people learn from story. And, um, 
And I agree that um, novels and memoirs both do the similar things. Memoir is just what somebody's remembering themselves and writing it down. Novel is what a novelist takes from their experience and makes it into a, um, and structures it into a story. But it's it's all from the human experience. Yeah. And do you think that you're going to continue writing creatively as a sort of co- um, complement to your research and what you do in your in your studies, in your practice? Oh, definitely. I really enjoy it. Um, and um, I'm writing, a, um, working on a memoir now about um, some difficulties I had as a um, medical student. Um, I'm a, I had children then. My children, children were like seven and three years old when I started medical school. And there was so those great challenges. Um, and I'm hoping that that book would be interesting to, especially to um, women who are struggling with um, trying to be a wife and mother and um, and then also um, deal with a career and balancing all of those things at one time. Um, and it's not possible, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I think people really struggle with that. And yeah. I'm hoping that it would speak to them. So earlier you mentioned that, that there is a type of creativity involved in science. What is your general or overall definition of creativity? I'd say it's um, using an imagination or original ideas. Um, and in the science field, there's a lot of people that think that you, you get this amazing result at once, this, you know, what's called an aha moment in science. And it's much more likely that it's going to be a, Oh, scratch your chin kind of thing. Oh, that's <laughs> weird. Or that's interesting. What if something else? And um, so that's the, the sort of creative thing where you where you, um, you you see some data, you see a result from an experiment or in my case, a clinical trial. And then you say to yourself, well, what if we did something else? What what other things would we find? Um, and um I think one thing that's really important is not to hold back your junior people if they are thinking creatively, because that's where the future is going to be. You, mm-hmm. you want you want the young people to 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 extend things and not just do things the way they've always been. So um, I think that's going to be really important to um, to um, foster creativity in in young scientists. Is there? Uh some advice that you've received in the past about uh, incorporating your creativity into your daily life? I'm trying to think. Um, I'd I'd have to think a little more about that. Can you share one of your personal habits that contributes to your creative success? Uh, I find um, um, to me it's uh, if I sit down in front in front of a piece of paper, then sometimes that piece of paper would stay blank. It's more like, yeah, it's more like um, I'll think of things throughout the day. Um, You know, um, you know, people always say that when you're trying to write, then you find all these other excuses to not write, and so you get up and do laundry, or you get up and sweep the floor or something. But I, that's when I actually do some thinking. I'll process a lot of things throughout the day that way, or driving the car, or out walking, um, and and so I think that's what I do. And then um, sometimes I have to send myself an email message so I remember what I thought. But sometimes it'll just be working my it's 
way around in my head. And then, then when I come back down, then I can get something down on paper or on the computer. That's what I was going to um, ask you. How do you capture those those fleeting thoughts? Like if you're in the middle of driving, do you do you have um, an app that you can speak into, or how do you how do you do that? I'm I'm more like a, you know at a stoplight, um, write something down kind of thing. Oh, I always have pa- okay. paper and pencil with me, um, but um, yeah, more more of more of what I'm thinking is when I'm actually doing something with my hands, like sweeping laundry or or out walking. And you know, I've always got something where I can I can write something down. Hmm. Is there a person that inspires you to be creative, and it can be somebody who's living or not, or that you know or not? I think grandkids re- inspire me. And when I was younger, children inspired me. By, but mm-hmm. my grandkids, because they, um, they're, um, you know, six and under, there's three of them. And they will make anything interesting, for one thing. Um, everything is a source of play. Everything can be a source of fun. Um, and they're not held back by feelings of, oh, I can't do that. It's like, um, it, it's like, then they're not expecting themselves to make a masterpiece when they get out the um, the finger paints. Um, they're just exploring how they can make something look and what happens when they mix colors or something. And so I think I you know I find that they haven't yet had the um, had it had any kind of social or um, cultural impediments put on them to say that they that they can't do something. So I find that I find that lovely to watch and to experience. And that experience of watching it within them, do you try and take that into your writing when you sit down or when you're vacuuming or doing your chores thinking about your story? <laughs> um it, it's probably happening in subconsciously, um, but I'm, I think I might be a little less likely to um to, to have those, let the negative thoughts come in. And, you know, most writers mm-hmm. that I talk with do have that, that kind of negative feeling like, Oh, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to want to see this. And, you know, that I hear that an awful lot. Um, and I was just on a writer's panel a few weeks ago and, um, somebody in the audience, um, said that, well, just about every other day she's feeling these negative thoughts. How do we deal with it? And we said to her, well, be grateful you only have them every other day because most <laughs> of us have them every day. And, you know, every writer on the panel felt the same way. And it's just that you kind of power through this, um, that if you enjoy what you're doing and you want to get the words out and um, the, that you've written down, that you just have to um, just keep trying. Do you have a favorite work of art that inspires you? I, I don't think I have one particular thing. You know, I'm more like a eclectic, you know, the, lots of different things I've enjoyed over the years. Um, Anything recent? And, uh, I don't think I can think of any one thing right now. And do you have a favorite quote that inspires you? Yeah, the same thing. I think... Um, Again, I'm, I'm more eclectic, and I'll um, and I'll I'll just I just enjoy taking in a lot of different perspectives, um, and I find that inspirational. And, and I find um, you know, like when when um, when people are doing something collectively to to help something happen, I find that quite inspirational more than any specific words. 
So as we wrap up here, is there anything that you would like to share with the audience before we finish? Oh, I think um, that um, that realizing that creativity is something that's good, not just for the individual, but for everybody that you touch. Um, however, that creativity is going to be um, manifest in your life. For some people, it's going to be handicrafts. For some, it will be writing. For some, it will be art. Um, and that um, it's really um, one of the things that that, um, that 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 really expands our humanity um, to um, to to be able to be creative, to use our imagination, original ideas, um, to move things forward, whether it's science or um, medicine or art. I think it's really helpful for everything. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. Thank you. 